From Mad Lab Studios, my name is Ben James, and this is Beyond the Walls. I am a self-admitted Discovery Channel, History Channel, National Geographic Channel, any of these channels that fit in this type of genre, in this type of vein, I am very self-admittedly a fanatic, major fan of most of the productions that come from these networks. One in particular, I'm a fan of Gold Rush on the Discovery Channel. I love the concept. I love the fantasy of being able, going out, putting a shovel into the ground, being able to uncover or unearth something that's going to change my world, change my life, change my destiny forever. I love that concept. But alas, most of the time when I put a shovel into the ground, I wind up hitting a root system or a rock or my own foot. And I quickly become disenchanted with the amount of physical labor that is going into a task as opposed to the amount of immediate reward that I am reaping. And it's stories like the following that continue to pique my interest. Maybe, maybe I'm holding out hope that one day it will happen to me. But on an early spring Sunday morning in 1799, a 12-year-old boy Skip church, deciding that fishing was more important for his spiritual needs than listening to a sermon that day, Conrad Reed successfully convinced his parents to let him spend a Sunday morning outside rather than inside the church building. While fishing, Conrad stumbled upon a funny-looking rock. Curious about the 17-pound wonder, Conrad carried it home to show his father, after examining the rock, John Reed, the boy's father, remained mystified, having no idea what it was other than it was interesting. Instead of throwing the rock back outside, the elder Reed placed it in front of a door. Thus began the first gold discovery in the United States. This 17-pound gold nugget acted as a, yeah, as a doorstop for two years. The frontier of North Carolina was sparsely populated in 1799. John Conrad settled in what he called Upper Mecklenburg County, roughly 20 miles north of a small trading town named Charlotte. Today, Reed's farm is in Cabarrus County, which is home to the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Before 1800, the county's population was less than 5,000 people that made up its 364 square miles. Most settlers were hard-working farmers that grew corn, wheat, barley, rye, indigo, and tended to their livestock on a daily basis. Paper money and coins were scarce in the North Carolina Piedmont, so people traded and bartered for the goods that they could not make for themselves. Family farms in this area dotted the landscape, and for the most part, husbands, wives, children, and the hired help kept the farms running by feeding and caring for livestock, planting and harvesting crops, and taking goods to the market. The Reed family was not much different from those families that surrounded them. Many had streams or creeks, and the families attended churches and religious meetings. John Reed was a German immigrant. 
a former Hessen soldier. Reed abandoned his post in Savannah, Georgia as a soldier fighting for Great Britain during the American Revolution and headed to the frontier of North Carolina. Upon his arrival, he established a farm, claimed the land as his own, and married. The Reeds had several children whose labor was used for farm work. John Reed, like most farmers in the region, was illiterate and had no formal education, yet he was considered by his peers to be a man of intelligence. The frontier provided a hands-on learning experience. Most of the farmers in the region were immigrants that arrived in America as soldiers, as indentured servants, or were the children of such immigrants. The lack of luxury goods and money in North Carolina meant that most farmers had little knowledge of the value of gold or even what it looked like. And one day, curious about his doorstop and perhaps encouraged by a persistent Conrad, John Reed took his chunk of rock to a local silversmith in 1802. The silversmith, upon reviewing the rock, didn't view it as important to his trade. So John Reed returned and put it in its rightful place. While preparing for a market trip to Fayetteville, John Reed took his doorstop to see if anyone in the city could identify it. A jeweler quickly identified the rock's value and paid Reed $3.50, a week's worth of wages for a farm laborer at the time. That would be a grand total of $83.87 in today's value. In reality, John Reed's rock was worth $3,600 then, which would equate to, in the gold value system of today, nearly $460,000. And after discussing the possibility of finding more gold nuggets on his farm, Reed entered into a partnership with three other men. One afternoon, they found a 28-pound nugget. Now, in my fantasy, as I put the shovel into the ground here in my hometown, my fantasy can't get much bigger than a 17-pound gold nugget, but not only did they find a 17-pound gold nugget on his farm, they found a 28-pound one, too. The partners, the four of them, received an equal portion from the $6,600 nugget, which would be valued at $750,000 today. Farms surrounding the Reed homestead became informal gold mining operations, Using everyday tools, men used a technique that exposed gold that was just a few inches below the surface. Local newspapers began reporting on the new discoveries of gold, and soon men were arriving at the family-owned farms and unearthing the Carolina Gold Belt. Then in 1825, a local farmer nearby from Montgomery County discovered that veins in white quartz could contain gold. It was this discovery that changed everything. Theoretically, all a person had to do was follow the veins and find a load of gold, which, for your information, if you are curious, on my property, I have yet to find that vein. Wealthy men, including cabinet members from Baltimore and Washington, D.C., began investing in gold mining operations. New technologies combined with old technologies and underground gold mining began to professionalize. At first, laborers dug pits in a haphazard way to find the gold. Over time, these pits were dug into shafts that formed tunnels, which became a much more directed way of mining. Working by lantern light, miners used picks, shovels, chisels, crowbars, and gunpowder to pry the ore from the rock. Maybe that's what I'm missing. I'm just simply using a shovel. I need Kim. 
I need a lantern light. I need used picks. I need chisels. I need crowbar. And find me some gunpowder. We'll strike it rich, baby. But doing this, the miners excavated the shafts and tunnels by loading wheelbarrows and hauling rock out. Some mines used buckets on ropes and pulleys to excavate the ore and rock. Men lined the shafts with timber to hold open the earth as miners dug deeper underground to mine out the ore. It was at this time the newspapers began reporting on the potential wealth men could find in North Carolina. Immigrants from England, Germany, Scotland, Ireland, and South America brought with them their mining experience, and soon North Carolina was mining a million dollars of gold per year, which would be the equivalent of $24 million a year today. 36 years after Conrad Reed found an unusual doorstop, President Andrew Jackson signed legislation in 1835 that opened three new branches of the United States Mint, including one in Charlotte, North Carolina, that minted raw gold into shiny gold coins. The Reed Gold Mine continued on and off again operations until the 20th century. John Reed himself died a very wealthy man in 1845. The last large gold nugget found on the property was found in 1896. By 1912, the gold mine had closed for good. Today, the site of Conrad Reed's discovery is a North Carolina State Historic Site, as well as a National Historic Site that is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The Carolina Gold Rush sparked a new wave of settlement into the once sparsely populated backcountry and funded massive infrastructure projects and westward expansion. The U.S. Mint in Charlotte closed in 1931 and was to be demolished for a renewal project. Concerned citizens at that point purchased the building in 1933 and had it moved to a new location a few blocks south. Today, it is the Mint Museum of Art, and all of this started with a 17-pound unusual rock that served as a doorstop for a family for two years. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Beyond the Walls. If you enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Walls, we ask that you leave us a review and a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this episode. Check back soon for more content. And as always, in the meantime, don't be afraid to go Beyond the Walls.